lamb for everybody. Something I've been amazed at during this time uh, in the reaction to Hurricane Harvey is how everybody has been willing to share. Everybody has been willing to share what they have for everybody that's in need to the point that people started putting out there Please stop donating food. We have enough. We don't need any more clothes. We have enough. I've seen rooms where you can't even get in because it's stacked to the ceiling full of bottled water. We have been willing to share with one another. Uh, one person said that this is the time that is uh, an opportunity for people to shine their brightest. I thought about that with this text, and it's amazing how this lectionary has been working out for such a time as this. I did not pick this specifically, but this was one of the passages in the lectionary. Uh, we are in Exodus as we were last week, and last week we talked about Moses with the burning bush and things that have to happen before you go through a, a great undertaking. Things that have to happen before you go through a great undertaking. And now we come to a part of the Passover. Let the church say Passover. Passover. Uh, yes, this is the first Passover while the people were still in Egypt. It's something that will become a, a continual uh, celebration, but this was the first one and became one of the most important rites amongst the people of God through the Jewish liturgical calendar. They talk about it in Exodus and Deuteronomy and even in 2 Kings, and they talk about all these things, and it even goes on in the New Testament with the people that are going. You'll hear that such and such was going to celebrate the Passover. And what's going on is after Moses has gotten this empowerment, this, this, this power to step forward, this power to go free his people from bondage, now the work begins. It's something nice to say amen and hallelujah and be all hyped up and excited and, and when you get someplace and get motivated, but now you got to roll up your sleeves. Now there's work to be done. Now the hard part comes. I remember time and time again after every organization I joined, you go through a little process to get in. They don't just let you in. But uh, once you get in, they say now the real work begins. Uh, some people say pledge now or pledge forever. Uh, the, the, the work has to begin, and so the work is happening. And Moses didn't just go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, okay, I'll see y'all later. Y'all be blessed on your trip. No, 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 no. There was trouble to go with it. He didn't take his free labor going away lightly. You know, when people are used to, I don't know, profiting off of other people, you know, enslaving them, 
Uh, it's kind of hard to give away all that free money when you got rich on the backs of other people. And when you, when you got rich on the blood, sweat, and tears of generations of other people, it's kind of hard to let go of that. And so you might come up with ways to try to get them back into the system. I don't know, maybe imprison them. Maybe have a school-to-prison pipeline. I don't know, maybe create some laws and be extra hard on them. I don't know, maybe start expelling children as early as three years old if they're black. I'm sorry, this wasn't in the text. I just want to spend a little time talking about it. When, when, you, when it's time to let these people go, you, the, the system will not just easily let go of them. And Pharaoh did not just easily let go of his slave labor. Nah, and, and so Egypt had to experience some plagues. Uh, they had plagues of blood and frogs and gnats and diseased livestock and boils and thunder and locusts and darkness. Then came the Passover. Uh, then came the Passover. The Passover was happening in the midst of the storm. Uh, these people were going through this trial and tribulation in the country and the area that they were in was in shambles. Uh, their economic infrastructure had been destroyed. The land had been destroyed. The livestock had been destroyed. And these people are still coming to worship. I'm going to say that again. The area that they were at had been destroyed. The people around them had been devastated, and that was the time that they still came to worship. When you go through tough times, when you go through trials and tribulations, it's very easily, uh, it's very easy to make the decision to not want to come to church anymore. It's very easy to make the decision to not want to be around the saints anymore. But that is a trick of the enemy. When you are going through your trials and troubles, when you are going through your struggles, when you are going through the rough patches in life, that is the exact time that you need to be in the church. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment that grows from the head and even down to the beard. The Bible says, fail not to assemble ourselves. This is the time when people need to be in church. Time and time again when I was at the cemetery, seminary, seminary, they would talk about how the church failed itself after 9-11. One of the worst American tragedies we had seen in a long time, a terrorist attack killing thousands of people on American soil. They say that the church attendance the Sunday following 9-11 was the high, churches were setting records for attendance because people were coming around looking to make sense of it. And all of the seminary professors say that we failed to grasp these people and point them to Jesus, but that is an opportunity. Uh, some of us may not have had a good prayer life until some trouble came in. Some of us may not have known what it was like to go through some struggles or, or, or be a faithful attender of the church until we've been through some struggles. Those are the times that we need to stick close. And so they are experiencing all these plagues and these, this famine and this economic destruction and, and, and the, all these things are going on. But yet and still God is telling them you need to worship. Uh, and so they had preparation. Let the church say preparation. preparation. Uh, each Hebrew family was instructed to slay a lamb. 
and on the 14th month of the, uh, uh, the, the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar, which usually comes around springtime on our, our Gregorian calendar, is usually around spring. And then they tell them to take the blood of the lamb. I'm going to come back to that a little later. But they tell them to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their doors. And so this preparation results in protection. Let the church say protection. protection. The Lord warns the people. He tells them that the firstborn of all the livestock and the children and the male animals rather in the land of Egypt are, are, are going to be uh, going to die. And he reassures them that when he sees the blood of the lamb on that door, uh, they will be saved. I'm going to say that again. There are a bunch of people that are about to go through some devastation during this time in the text. But when God sees the blood of the lamb over the family, he's going to pass by them and protect them. Uh, Passover, when you read the text that Exodus is interrupting the flow of the plagues, uh, one theologian says that the liturgical festival precedes the saving event. Uh, they worship and thank God for what's going on uh, through the storm. They don't allow the troubles to keep, keep them from worshiping the one who is going to get them out of trouble. I say they don't allow the troubles to keep them from worshiping the one that is going to get them out of trouble. They say that the third time is a charm. They don't allow the troubles that they are going to to keep them from worshiping the one who is going to get them out of the trouble. It's not clear how they're going to get out the trouble. It's not clear why they're even going to get out the trouble. It's not clear why they have the trouble, but they understand that they still come to worship even though they are in trouble, and it's not obvious how the deliverance is going to be. You may not be able to see further than the front of your nose. It's so dark in your current situation, but you can still trust and believe that God will never leave you nor forsake you that the righteous never been forsaken and the seed and the begging bread you can trust and believe that weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning you can trust and believe that though he slay me yet will I trust him no matter what's going on you may not be able to figure it out yourself but God will see you through to the end I'm reminded of a song by Brenda Walters called Victory where she said I don't know how my God is going to do it. I don't know when my God is going to fix it. Well, Lord, I only know that God is going to make a way for me. I know he will. He's going to do it. Somebody shout victory. Uh, that is what's going on in the text. He's telling them that it is time to worship. And these instructions that they're giving them are not only about the present, but they're about the future. Uh, the people of God are preparing for the Passover even though they are still in captivity in Egypt. They had to look towards the future even though they were the presently in a gloomy situation. They did not allow their gloomy situation to remove their focus upon God's glory. The Passover was going to be something that was immortalized forever. And so they were spared and the death angel passed over. Ah, the trouble passed over. The trial passed over. And when they were going through this trial, God not only told them what to do in the trial, but he told them what to wear. Uh, in, in, in the text, it says, uh, 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 
It says that same night that they eat the meat, do not eat the meat raw, roasted over. Do not leave any ground of it. Uh, on that same night, I'll pass through. He tells them to wear with their sandals on and their cloak tucked in their robes. Uh, 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 I mean, their robes tucked in their belts, rather. And he tells them to keep their sandals on. And he tells them to get the staffs on. Uh, I know we're not familiar with uh, B.C. fashion, but you didn't wear your cloak and your sandals and your walking stick and your staff in the house. Uh, he told them, he told them to wear all of this stuff with the cloak tucked into the belt and the sandals on the feet and the staff in the hand and to eat in haste because they had to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Uh, he told them to eat with the cloak tucked in and the shoes on and your walking stick ready to go because he, he, they, they didn't, they, they told them to be ready. Uh, once one, one person always says that if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. When you don't know how God is going to move in your life, you need to stay ready. Because you never know in the moment of an eye, in a, in a twinkling of an eye, the things can change. And you got to be ready. You got to be ready for the opportunity when it comes. You got to be ready when that person comes by and is willing to offer you a business deal. You got to be ready when these things happen because you never know. It will seem like something fall in, right in your lap. But you got to be ready to get out of that situation. So he told them to have the cloak tucked in the belt. Told them to have their shoes on. Told them to have their walking stick ready. Told them to eat the food in haste. That's why they had the unleavened bread. Because they didn't wait for enough time for the bread to rise. That, that they grabbed it straight out the oven while it was still cooking. And so that's what they were doing to let them know that when God was going to move, when God was going to deliver them out of the situation, they needed to be ready to go. Amen. Ah, and, and, and they were ready to, they have to be ready for change. Doesn't say anything about coming up with a bunch of rules. Doesn't say anything about coming up with a bunch of plans to do this. When God was going to move, he just told them to be ready. And that's how we have to be, is ready. Even though we may be in the midst of a storm, even though we may be in the midst of a trial, even though we may be in the midst of some trouble, we have to be ready to get up out of the situation at a moment's notice. We don't know how God's going to fix it, but when God fixes it, we ought to be ready. Ah. And, and, and so these people, they, they, they were ready to, they, were, they, they needed to be ready for change. And so the Passover happened, and the people of God had to leave, and they started celebrating while they were still in captivity, and then they had to be ready for that change. And because of what happened in this time, because they worshiped in the midst of their storm, because they were celebrating this Passover, even though they were still enslaved, this became a, a, a thing that was passed over and passed down, rather, from generation to generation. It was passed down from generation to generation, and so you see all through the Bible about different people celebrating the Passover. They'll get some lamb in the spring and eat it, and they'll have the bone still in it, the shank bone. And then they'll have this, this bitter herb that they'll eat, and they'll have four cups, and they'll have another cup of water where they ceremonially wash their hands before they eat, and they'll say something in Hebrew that translates to, Blessed O you, O Lord, King of the universe, the creator of the fruit of the vine 
wine and this, this meal would be something that they would celebrate time and time again and they would sit back and recline and tell the story about how God brought them out of the trouble. They'll sit back and recline and tell the story about how God made a way out of no way. They'll sit back and recline how they had this God protecting them while they were in a foreign land and this got passed down and passed on and this Passover celebration was something that they needed to remember. And they would eat the lamb, and they would eat the bitter herbs, and they would drink from the cup, and they would have this unleavened bread. And sooner or later, we got down generation to generation, there'd be some rabbi in his 30s. And he had about 12 friends that hung out with him. And during this Passover celebration, he would take this flat bread, this this broken bread, and he would break the bread and bless the bread and say, take and eat. This is my body which is suffered for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then since there were four cups of wine that they had, he'd take that third cup, which happened to be the cup of deliverance after that meal. And he would take that cup, bless it, and bring and share it from, and this is my blood, which is the suffering of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the new covenant. And this blood, and as often as you do for these, as often as you eat this bread, he would say, this rabbi with his, third, with his 12 friends, and drink of this cup, you show forth my death and suffering until I come again. This, this would be the sacrifice that would happen the night he was about to be betrayed. This, this, this lamb that we were eating for the Passover meal would be replaced. This Passover lamb would be replaced with a perfect lamb. Yeah. This Passover lamb would be replaced with a perfect sacrifice. And that blood that was of the lamb that would be on the door that would save the family, that blood would be replaced by the blood of a crucified lamb that would be able to save our souls. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me hold again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now behold the lamb, the precious lamb of God, born into sin so that I may live again. The precious Lamb of God, this lamb would go all the way to Calvary, would sacrifice himself for us, and there would be enough lamb for everybody. So just like they told them in the Passover meal to share the lamb with their neighbor because that lamb would be a sacrifice to save them, we, just as, uh, just as they shared the lamb with the neighbor, we ought to be able to share the blood of the crucified lamb with our neighbor. We ought to be able to take him to the streets. We ought to be able to take him to our jobs. We ought to be able to take them to our homes and share it because he died for our sins. And because he died for our sins and rose again, we are saved. We have access to heaven. We are saved from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. Because the perfect lamb sacrificed his blood for this family, this church family of God, this body of believers, we all can be saved and we can get out of the trials, out of the troubles. This too shall pass and we'll be able to celebrate when it's all over and the celebration we'll be able to look back over our lives and see that if it had not been for the Lord on our sides where will we be? We'll be able to make it out of this trials and these tribulations in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come